0: I got you, I got you, ready? One, two, one, two, one, two. Yo, this is Charlie Tuna from Jurassic 5 Live and Direct here in Glasgow, Scotland, and you call that radio? <laughs> Good afternoon, trooped and welcome to season three, episode seven of You Call That Radio's audio podcast. I'm doing my best here to get back in the saddle of releasing weekly audio podcasts and I'm doing no bad. Last week we had John Robb, the week before we had Alan Bissett. This week we've got Darren McGarvey and next week we'll have hip-hop legend Slug of Atmosphere fame. Anyway, I was I noticed that I had this classic with Darren McGarvey in the chamber from last year and Murphamish had already mixed and mastered it ages ago. But so far it's only been available on YouTube, which is where most of our stuff is these days. That's youtube.com forward slash you call that radio. But when you get a guest as good as Dan McGarvey, I think it's important that we don't deprive the audio podcast listeners of the opportunity to hear what dan has got to say. Uh, I hear also the robotic overlords of algorithm culture love consistency. So that's four in a row. Aren't they lucky? Aren't you lucky? Aren't we all lucky? Because nobody does a podcast quite as well as Darren McGarvey. His ability to convey his thoughts in an entertaining yet informative way, second to none, with the many famous guests. But I reckon these days, he's probably one of the most famous people to ever step foot in the good ship YCTR. Which is brilliant to see from my point of view. Because he is an old friend who I've known for many, many years. And I'm very proud to have witnessed his rise from early days as a misunderstood and underrated rapper to an Orwell Prize winning author, cultural commentator, and still a misunderstood and underrated rapper. Now when we recorded this, he was about to release his second book, The Social Distance Between Us, which followed on from his award winning Poverty Safari. Now, since then we know that this book would also be a success and award winning. And shortly after this interview, he also released a very well received and important TV series called Dan McGarvey's Addictions, which was a hit on BBC. I don't know if it was BBC Scotland or BBC, but it was it was amazing, really good, and it won its fair share of awards. Uh, what else has he been up to since then? Well I watched him being interviewed by Frankie Boyle. And the Blind Boy podcast in the same week in front of sold-out crowds at Oren Moore and the Calvin Academy, respectively. It will always be the Calvin Academy to me. I was going to release this interview to help him promote the book. And then the book was doing really well, so I thought I would hold off. Because I knew that he had a UK tour coming up. And I thought, well, if I release it when the UK tour comes out, it might help promote it. But I didn't need my help because... Pretty much most of the dates sold out rapid, so there wasn't really any need, but I think the time's right now because he's actually got a new podcast called Dan McGarvey's Common People, where so far he's been doing like 10 to 20 minute hot takes on the state of the world, and I believe he's got some guests lined up as well, so he's only a few episodes in, but such is his experience as a journalist, author, thinker, talker, and he's in multiple mainstream TV appearances, he's been interviewed by famous people. So he's already gliding through it all like a duck to water. Now many of you will be aware of his work as a hip-hop alter-ego Loki. Or you might know Darren's books, or his TV. you might recognise him from TV. But some of you won't be, and you're tuned into this show, so that means that you like podcasts. And I'm sure you're going to love his podcast. If you like this, you're probably going to love what Darren's doing as well. Now, for the time being, I think Common People is only available on his YouTube channel. I would expect that to probably expand to Spotify and Apple soon. But check it out, because I expect this to grow big time over the next year or so. You heard it here first. Unless you'd already heard it from elsewhere. Now, before we go into the interview... I just want to share with you a quick apology I did on You Call That Radio's Friday night phone-in ahead of our fourth birthday party. Should you call that radio, it's four years old on April the 28th, so we're having a wee party at Room 2, we gasp the twistettes, Doghouse and DOS, and um, yeah, most of, the Friday night phone-in and most of our content is available on YouTube these days, uh, youtube.com forward slash You Call That Radio. In fact, check out the chat on there I had with Gary Fraser last week overcame heroin addiction to become co-director of Train Spotting 2 with Danny Boyle and he's got a new TV show show out called Supply and Demand. I might it was actually that good that I might get this put out as an audio podcast as well if YouTube's not your thing. But yeah I think this one is important that you guys hear this. Like I said it was last summer I believe that we recorded this so um but before we do that if you just give me five minutes of your time so that I can make an apology. I've got a couple of things to apologize about and I think it's important to hear that. So Listen to this, and then we'll come back, and we'll go right into the interview with Darren McGarvey. You call
1: that radio.
0: Four years I've been in here, for almost four years since the first ever You Call That Radio audio podcast. We're having a birthday party on the twentieth of April, but that's four years since the first audio podcast. It's been three years since the first You Call That Radio live video stream, or whatever this is. I've been calling it radio, and it's not even radio. So I want to apologise for that first. And some other things I've learned about myself this week. I've been the podcast host I wanted to be. I haven't been the podcast host that you deserve. But I've started. I've started getting daylight before screen time. I got my bike fixed. I start my day right, getting daylight before screen time. Cycling every day. Every day since yesterday. In the past, I have been sitting here drinking, smoking, and interviewing artists I like, regardless of how many Instagram followers they have, just because I like their tunes. Bands, DJs, comedians, artists, directors, all sorts, but no criminals, unless they also happen to be criminals, which is fine, as long as they can hold a note or write a tune. I like all that different stuff, but I need to niche down, focus on one thing like hating Brendan Schwab. That's how you make that YouTube money. If you just every day slag Brendan Schwab, then you get that real YouTube money. I could be doing that or solving murder mysteries. Every day I could come on here and solve murder mysteries. I could be getting charismatic anti-vaxxers against boring scientists armed only with their facts Put them together and let them fight it out. Then you get that YouTube money. I should be asking recently released serial killers about the positive benefits of cold water therapy. But no, no, have I done that? No. When everyone else goes to South American jungles on an ayahuasca retreat, i just gub a few mushrooms on a boat from Adrosan to Arran. I kept my own personal mental health out of the spotlight. And now I realise I should have leaned into that. And started diagnosing my guests and my audience's mental health and offered... Simple solutions that I saw in Joe Rogan. No wonder anyone barely checks my channel when I don't even have a fully formed opinion on Joe Biden. I've barely even spoke about crypto or AI or Elon Musk. I'm not going to have a viral moment by inviting people on here with 73 Facebook followers and telling them that I really like their new song and they should keep up the good work. That stuff angers our reptilian overlords. It leaves the algorithm hungry, starving. So I'm intermittent fasting from now on. I'm working out every day since yesterday, and I want to see some angry reacts. It's the only way this channel is going to grow, is we need controversy, we need scandal, and we need angry reacts. Hashtag raging. Leave your angry reacts, angry emojis. It's the only way to build the channel. It's called You Call That Radio, but how often can you even call You Call That Radio? Not very often. But tonight, you can call, you call that radio. Tonight, you can actually call, you call that radio. If you want to call in, promote a hang, talk shite, just click the link. It's not even radio, though. It's not even a podcast anymore. Nobody knows what this is. But we're having a birthday party on April the 28th at Room 2. Building a spring with Gasp, Doghouse, DOS and the twist states, And then we're having a club anyway an after party in a secret location. I've spent an absolute fortune on this night, so please go. Or I'm going to have to niche down from now on and just hate Brendan Schwab every day for that slimy YouTube money. This is you Call Rat Radio. This is the Friday Night Phone In. That was my apology. Sorry. Now it's time for the adverts. Only joking. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Don't, 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 it's okay. It's okay. We don't have adverts. We don't have any sponsors. And we certainly don't have any funding of any kind. You call that radio, it's powered purely by our patrons. So thank you to everyone who does support the patron you are the reason that we can do all the things we do whether that's putting events on doing audio podcasts on here doing live streams on youtube doing live music sessions and sharing daft memes on facebook it's all because of you so thank you for supporting us and if you aren't already supporting us and you're enjoying what you call that radio does then for just three pound a month you can support the show at patreon.com forward slash you call that radio and we'll throw in some bonus material, freebies and discounts whenever we can. But I think it's important to make sure that there's no paywall to hear the show so that everyone can enjoy it. So if you are privileged enough to afford £3 a month, then please do put it in the pot. That means that everyone can enjoy it for free. So there you go. Uh, one final thing. we're going, I think the time for the interview with Darren McGarvey. But uh, just to remind you, it was last summer. Uh, Darren was the first rapper with a Scottish accent I ever heard. Apart from my own lo-fi demo recordings that I made with a SingStar mic and like a voice recorder thing. And um, I thought I'd invented a new genre called Scottish hip hop. See, the internet existed back then, but it was a bit rubbish. And I didn't have it. The only time I had access was when I went to college. And I don't remember using it apart from really looking up Pink Floyd song lyrics. But eventually one day i searched wh- what is the best scottish hip hop?" album it's actually because uh, my pal sally from edinburgh i was at a, a house party in pilton edinburgh and uh i said that i'd invented a genre i kept it to myself you know obviously I'd, i wouldn't tell my pals that i was a rapper or I'd invented a genre they would have laughed at me but i told this lassie that i had i'd been working on scottish hip-hop and she went oh that's original and i was like oh, what? it's not original so I searched, I was going to say I googled, I don't even know if Google was a thing then, but I searched what is the best Scottish hip-hop album, and found the notorious Scottish hip-hop forum, where I found there was decades of hip-hop history, but even then most agreed that Friendly World by Loki was the best album, and I listened to it, it blew my mind, Big Div on Production, and Darren on the Mic, and it was so good in fact, that it made me retire from rapping for about 10 years, I started to go down a more guitar band, sounding route with the Gyro Babies, and, you know, I started becoming a a venue booker and stuff, and I I booked Loki many times. It was always an inspiration to me. And since then, I've made a few rap albums under the name Jack Trades. but to me, Loki is always the benchmark for MC skills, conceptual writing, and witty one-liners. He's inspired me many times over the years to get better at writing rapping, daft Facebook status updates, and uh, now I suspect he's going to teach me how to podcast better, and that can only be a good thing for everyone. Remember, we recorded this live online last summer, with viewers asking the majority of the questions, so views and opinions may have slightly altered since then, but I highly doubt it. So enjoy the show, this is Dan McGarvey, the social distance between us, live and interactive online Q&A Your As you call that Radio TV We are live And we've got a special episode tonight It's the Q&A For Dan McGarvey Ahead of his new book The Social Distance Between Us Which you can see behind me there How Remote Politics Wreck Britain And I think we go live to Dan Just now, how you doing mate? Hello, how are you, Mark? Good to see you. It's good to see you too, mate. It's been a while. It's been a while. You, I've got a new book out. Mate, I'm absolutely buzzing that you, this book has came to the end. It's <laughs> <lovely>. <laughs> there was obviously moments where you, you, I think you were struggling a bit with it, or you, you seemed like you were <laughs> doubtful. <laughs> but I so often I see you having a Eureka moment, and it was like, just yes, come on, you could do this. And there's a few questions about that as well. We've got, basically, what we've done tonight is, I think last week you invited the people of Twitter to ask you questions about your new book. So that's kind of going to be the rough, The rough. what we're going to do is go to those, dip into those Twitter questions. But if anyone has tuned in tonight as well, if you've got a question, I'll do my best to get through them all as well. But congratulations on the new book. First of all, what's it about for people that don't know? Uh, nice one thanks
1: Mark um, well I mean it's it's about the sort of stuff that I usually cover for people that are familiar with what I'm doing um, it's looking at social inequality but I think the main thesis of the book is that um, because the class divides are so stark in Britain then we essentially grow up on opposite sides of a kind of ravine you know what I mean with different cultures, different economic interests, different ways of speaking and that when you take all of that into account it becomes very difficult for people in power to do right by working class people even if they want to because they become so removed from other people's reality that um, it's it's just, you know, if they've got no first-hand experience then how would they know how to create a welfare state that doesn't kill people? Um, how would they know to set up an education system that doesn't over-penalise working class kids with behavioural problems and all of these things. So it's a kind of, my attempt at a comprehensive look at education, the labour market, the criminal justice system, housing property, um, as well as cultural stuff, like how we speak and what impact that has on our opportunities. And then other things like the concept of meritocracy or the myth of meritocracy. And then the second part of the book takes that theme of distance and applies it to like political ideologies. Do you know what I mean? So what is it Tories get wrong and why? Uh, wh- why does working class people not connect with the radical left? Um, uh, what is populism all about? What is all that anger about? And, and then looking at kind of Blairism and this idea of centrists, you know what I mean, who always style themselves as the grown ups. Um, but actually, if you really examine their legacy, you could say that a lot of where we are now begins with that kind of Blair um, velvet glove on the, the, the iron Tory fist, you know what I mean? Um, so it's on June the 16th And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what everybody thinks
0: Well I'm going to just put a wee link in the comments For them to pre-order it It's going to be in May What date does it drop again? It's June, now it's been moved it's to June. June
1: So it's going to be June the 16th um, But people can get along to any of these launch events We've got the Glasgow launch on the 13th of June um, or uh, on the, the 16th of June on, uh, in London um, as well. So there's two launch events and I think people will be able to purchase uh, a book at these, even if it is before publication date, I think.
0: Well, I've got the, the conversation with Frankie Boyle, which is amazing, man. Frankie Boyle at Oren Moore. And that's got to be a dream come true as well. And we've obviously, you've, you've worked with Frankie before, what like you were on his was it Class Wars or was it his show? I was, was on your You were on his show.
1: Aye, aye. And we talked a wee bit about language. And he came to see me. That was that was a buzz that time. He came to see my show at the stand. Do you know what I mean? So, like, that was just a... And it was a sellout show as well. I mean, I think that was one of the shows where it just felt like everybody came out for it. So, it was quite a buzz. Um... And then uh, we just like had wee bits of correspondence here and there, or he would send me things to, to read articles or something like that that he was reading. And, um, I, and then really the, the, the publisher, Penguin, was kind of just trying to think, getting the right people to kind of, you know, uh, chair these in-conversation events. And obviously for, for Glasgow, Frankie just seemed like an obvious fit. You know what I mean? Because as much as obviously he's known for his comedy and all of that, there is another side to him um, where he, he, he's quite robust in a discussion about politics and things like that. You know what I mean? And he, he turns the comedy down a wee bit and dials it in. And um just thought that it would be... It would also create a kind of a big event. You know what I mean? For my first real thing after the pandemic to just sort of say... Right, well, we're getting the show on the road. you know what I mean? So we were dead happy that he agreed to do it, and really looking forward to. Hopefully, a lot of people coming out for it.
0: So it's June the thirteenth. I put a link in the comments. Tickets went on sale today. Oh no, they're going on sale Friday. Friday, they're going on sale on Friday. So get a yeah. ticket along all that. Monday the thirteenth of June, and yeah, man, let's get, let's go, let's go to the Twitter sphere. And I mean, it's Twitter where you you live mostly online these days. Um, Honestly. mostly uh, just because the
1: I just feel the algorithms are a bit more generous. Do you know what I mean? When you're trying to get the word out, um, and also I like Facebook more for talking. When I'm writing stuff on Facebook, I'm thinking of like a couple of handfuls of people. You know what I mean? So I'm thinking about like you reading it, or 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 my mate gasp reading it, or. Um, I, I don't really think about the fact that there is actually a lot of people still following me on there as well. So I don't know. I have but I have a bit made a laugh on Facebook. Do you know what I mean? I always just feel like I'm talking to the scene when I'm on Facebook. Yeah. It's quite a good wee outlet that way, you know what I mean? Just to be a wee bit more um, informal with it. So Twitter, Twitter's where I, I do most of my stuff, man, like
0: professional-wise. Let's see what the Twitter sphere had to say. I think the first one... The first question comes from Stuart Schiller, who said, are, you most pro- are your most productive periods of writing down to luck, in brackets, the kids are healthier and in a good mood, or design, like you found a way of making the most of your time? If it's option two, can you talk about how you make the time?
1: Um, okay, good question. I mean, obviously, yeah, for, luck is, is part of it in terms of are you going to be feeling inspired on any particular day? Um, but the thing about committing to a big project like a book is that you've still got to work even when you don't feel inspired, and even when you don't have time and energy. Um, but within that madness, I tried to kind of in lockdown, um, I would I would try to get up early before the kids woke up. So obviously you're talking you're talking half three, four in the morning. And then what I found was if I got a couple of hours of solid writing done, then I would be a lot calmer during the day, however the day went, went because I knew I had touched, made contact with the work, done a bit of the work, done my best, and then, you know, if I got a spare hour at any point during the day, I would do it a wee bit in the evening when the kids go down to bed. But obviously, in a lockdown scenario, you kind of really blame anything, because it's just a mad circumstance that you've been put in. Um, obviously, like when the when our routines turned back to normal and the nurseries and schools and all that opened, then um, that became a wee bit less stressful because you kind of you can you can bank on having that free time or being able to catch up on sleep if you've had to work through the night and all that. So it's a combination of work and then also being able to see where the bullets are coming from and try to plan ahead. You know, I'm kind of big on routine and structure, um, just because I. I in order to be spontaneous, in order to diverge from the plan, I need to have the security of that that uh, structure to deviate from. I'm not one of these people that can just be kind of, you know, flying by the seat of my pants all the time. My wife is a bit like that. She's, she's a bit more like you, Mark, in terms of she's just like, fucking right, we can do it, do you know what I mean? And we'll just deal with it all as it comes. But I just begin to kind of disintegrate under those circumstances, do you know what I mean? Like, I need to know my, my exit plan for every situation. Uh, so it's a combination, I think, of 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 work and also just fucking try to have a plan and stick it.
0: And a book as well. There's obviously a, as someone that's never written a book, but I mean, I can fly by the seat of my pants for like I don't know, making a song, organising a gig, or even doing a podcast or whatever. Well, with a book, I can only imagine the kind of concentration that would take, and. Uh, and also, the, uh, the, the before I forget as well, you've also got the... Because I don't think you've been on this show for ages, man. You've, if anyone's not tuned in at You Call Radio before, we've had done on a couple of times. Mm. I think it was right, right in the middle of heavy lockdown. And since then, I think you've had Class Wars has been on the show, which went really well, Matt. A fantastic piece of television. And now you've Thank got you. Addictions. Can we get a wee shout-out for the, the new TV show as well before I go into the next question?
1: I am... Um... But basically, that starts on the tenth of May, and it's three one-hour-long episodes. that's yeah, looking at Scotland's relationship with alcohol, drugs, uh, gambling, sex, and food. And uh, I, I've seen a rough cut of a couple of them, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it in terms of how we're framing the, the issues. It'll be the usual thing people can expect from me, which is you know bringing a bit of my lived experience into the mix while mapping individual stories, of people that we talk to, to to sort of expert analysis, history, um, other forms of data and evidence, and basically just trying to put forward this argument. You know, whatever you think of the behaviour of people who have become addicted in some form or another, a behaviour or a drug, it helps to think of addiction more like a mental problem than, than a hobby that somebody's actively choosing to do. And and it's really just kind of for want of a better phrase in the context of a drug crisis to, to move the needle a wee bit um, away from this idea that that uh, the drug addicts that we see out in our streets are choosing to live like that because if you knew how they were really living you would knew, you would know they never had much of a choice. Um, so that's the tenth of May that starts and it'll run for three weeks, mate. Tenth of May, I player. It'll be on iPlayer, I'm sure it'll be up there for a few weeks and uh, no doubt it'll be repeated a lot on BBC Scotland as well um, and I'll be doing, there's a lot of press dropping for it over the next few days as well so um, just try to hit all those different demographics do you know what I mean? Um, I did a few interviews today, I'm doing uh, some stuff on Sunday and then on Monday morning um, before I go in and record my, my serialisation of my book for uh, Radio 4
0: so it's not just an So this is different from <clears> it. <throat> All right. So that's for the addictions, and of course you're doing the audio book for the the book as well. And I think that's one of the questions that's going to come up later on. Cool. Uh, and I think it was about. Uh, does that come? Does that come into your? Um, now Obviously, because you've, you've you did Poverty Safari won the Orwell Prize with that. So th- then you had to record an audio book for you probably hadn't even thought about it. This thing mm. you're writing a book prob- aware of in the background at some point that you are going to have to do an book. Did that change your process and how you're writing at all?
1: No, but it is a good question. But no, man, I mean, when you're immersed in the book, you're really just thinking about trying to get it finished. And this really takes up your whole headspace. I, I, I could tell I hadn't thought about recording the audio book when I was recording the audio book because... <laughs> Um, you know, uh, I, I I was quite um I was quite emotional at certain points. You know, there's a lot of got dead scabby lips. I got sunburnt on Friday, and my lips are all blistering. Um, just noticed that there. Um, I basically, I was, you know, there's there's a chap, there's a couple of chapters in particular in the book, um that that are more difficult at the time when I was in the areas examining this stuff. Or thinking about the stuff, and 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 then uh, reading them in um, the context of the book, you know, I could feel the anger or the emotion or the sadness or whatever. Um, and then also there's all the pronunciations or all the academics names and all that that you're quoting and researching. Um, you know, mad Welsh names that have actually only got two syllables but about thirty letters. You know what I mean? And it's all it's all vowels for some reason. Um and you don't you know you're sitting in the studio and not even the director of the audio book knows how to pronounce some things you're having to go on Google and so hopefully we got a lot of that right um if we didn't I can only apologise but uh, I it was it was it was not in my mind one iota uh, should I consider the audio book when I'm writing this you know the book is first and foremost and
0: um that's that's the way it should be I think. He'd probably just start rhyming it all if you started thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> a novel of rap lyrics, yeah. yeah so that uh, Jim Watson wants to know when writing the book, what fact or issue did you research that surprised or shocked you the most? Interesting. Um, what shocked me
1: the most, and I and I noticed that I, I, I think readers will probably get a sense of I hope they would get a sense of my surprise if they don't then. That whatever. Um, something that surprised me was um, when I was digging into a lot of the attitudes data around immigration and finding that there isn't that much of a difference between views on immigration, between the kind of white ethnic population and um, black, Asian and minority ethnic groups. Now, what is different is the the reasons why people come to the conclusions that they come to about their ideas about uh, uh, um, immigration to some extent being controlled, and and a concept of the uh, the kind of the, the the ideal migrant. You know what I mean? Somebody who's coming to the country to contribute and this, that, and the next thing. You know, there are differences between white ethnic and black Asian minority ethnic because their experiences in in a country like Britain, which is, you know, founded on concepts of white superiority. But ultimately, I think a lot of the debate about immigration prior to Brexit didn't really reflect that, you know, it ended up being a bit of a sort of, it was a dichotomy, wasn't it? Well, it was just Brexit was just fueled by this kind of angry... Um, white working class that were just xenophobic to the core. And, and while that does explain a certain section of that, that demographic, xenophobia and racism doesn't explain why a black person or an Asian person um, would have conservative views about immigration. And it doesn't explain why the Conservative Party, when it was getting tougher and tougher with the rhetoric on immigration, uh, actually attracted more votes from the um, non-white people in Britain. So that was quite surprising. Uh, although my intuitions had always been it was more complicated, but I didn't realise actually how complicated it, it was. Um, not a great deal else surprised me because, I mean, I was I was pretty across a lot of these issues. Um, um, you know, in particular in, in relating to social inequality in class. I kinda of understand that with a certain level of, of confidence now. Um but aye that that particular fact did surprise me.
0: Uh who so just check out who's tuned in. We've got Katie DeShizzle saying my rap career career lasted as long as you were gonna vote no for. <laughs> was that was that a, did you did you have a period of thinking about voting no? Um was no that, I don't joke. Think so. <laughs> And I hope you know that your inspiration to make sure this, Katie, as well. Oh, thank you, Katie. Um,
1: no, I, I don't think I, I don't think I've ever considered voting. No, but I mean that's another discussion for another day. But I, I mean, I think we've all sort of learned a lot over the last few years and maybe come to a certain more nuanced perspective about certain things. But um, maybe that's a chat for
0: another time. Alex Doherty has already pre-ordered the book <coughs> Poverty Safari was great and audible. Uh, John Hello Soapy is in the house. John Sutter says legends. All right, Soapy, how's it going? Thanks also, Alex. All right, Alan. Um, Alan's looking forward to the addiction series. Uh, Lou Rogerson saying I quit drinking over a, a year ago next month, best decision I ever made. Well done, mate. Becky Wallace well, is well in done. the house.
1: We're a haw. <laughs> oh, she's and, a. I'll tell you something. She's a tidy wee bit of gear that Becky Wallace. By the way, I mean you, you, you think you think you you think you see you think you see how nice looking she is, and how smart she is with the social media activity. Do you know what I mean? But actually, she's underplaying it. A lot of people overplay it, but she's really underselling herself. Really. <laughs> I mean, like honestly, it's just a real treat to wake up to her most
0: days. <laughs> we've got Epi in the house we've got Jay Lee how's it going Troops it's Jay Lee as well Hello. and if you just want to leave a question in the, the comments if you're watching on Facebook or Twitch go to youtube.com forward slash you call that radio it's a better quality and also if you're watching YouTube remember to hit that red subscribe button we're going back to Twitter for another question uh, what is the most important policy change you would like government to adopt after they all read it and that comes from John joe jones interesting question because there's different ways of
1: looking at this you know you could adopt a policy which which, was to deal with a very specific and serious urgent problem like the cost of living crisis right so you could um you could increase benefits you could give people a couple of one-off grants like the the self-employment scheme or the furlough scheme um you could have a windfall tax of some sort um or you could do something more radical and adopt a kind of universal basic services approach, so instead of universal basic income, which gives everybody a certain amount of money every week, instead of, of that, you know, give them free transport, free childcare, alleviate some of the costs associated with work, work and employment. Um, but then if you've done that, then you would still fundamentally have to, to, to deal with the fact that the country and the institutions at the heart of it, the House of Lords, Westminster, um, are, are, are so out of reality and that they are so de- democratically deficient. And so you're not really going to get the chance to do two really radical things. So You would have to decide, should you do something to alleviate short-term suffering now or should you do something to address the fundamental problems in the country? And I would probably go for that option in the long run, because people have already experienced austerity, recession, a lot of hardship. So almost in a sense, people are conditioned for that difficulty now. Um, And so what I would probably do would be to uh, abolish the House of Lords um, turn it into a second chamber of parliament, advisory parliament, which basically would still have the same role it has now, which is consulting on legislation, sending it back to the House with amendments and all of these things in it, but instead of ele- uh, unelected you know, hereditary privileged peers or anointed peers who are put there for their political use rather than their abilities, I would have it filled with people with lived experience, experts, doctors, um, community leaders, civic society—that's more representative of ordinary society—and so have them consult on welfare reform. Do you know what I mean? Have have a single mother um, who's fleeing an abusive relationship go in there and talk about um, how how getting getting pulled in for a for a, a random compliance meeting by the DWP and being confronted with the same coercion and aggression and threatening behaviour that she was confronted with from her abusive ex, but in a public institution. Have her explain that and how that feels and then send that back to the House of Commons. Because um, I think that that would really kind of, it would be symbolic of, a, a, of trying to draw a line under Britain's 19th century approach to the 21st century. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, and as much as a lot of people might not be on board with that because it might seem quite abstract, actually it also tackles a fundamental problem in Britain which is this hereditary privilege thing which is just run all through our society from from you know hundreds of years, you know what I mean? You've got the same small number of families that have owned most of this country for, for more than a thousand years. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, that's one of my recommendations in the book but that's what I would go for, something fundamental that really changed the kind of the democratic topography of the country. Sorry for the wanky language, Um, but I, I would go for something like that. And also, just while I see there's a bunch of people here, I would say, I hope that the, I hope that you're all going to come out to the Oridmore. I know some of you might not venture any further west than fucking Govan, do you know what I mean? Um, so a lot of folk are be like, "Oh no, it's in the West End." The same as when the Fringe, they say, oh, I can't go there, I don't go there," and it's like, I ah, you can." Do you know what I mean? And I hope to see you there. Um, and I hope I don't think the tickets are too expensive, and there's a subway stop right there if you're for Glasgow. So, so there's really no excuse. Do you know what I mean? Come there with your fucking baseball cap on and your half bottle of bucket and whatever. Um, but but definitely come
0: out. Do you know what I mean? another one from Lynn. Do you think we can actually change the world? Are we capable of change? And what news source do you most respect? Oh, um, good questions. That was bro- throttled fra- Sorry, that was uh, from Lynn McAdam. Uh,
1: thanks for the question, one Questions. Um, can we change the world? I, uh, I mean, it, it, history shows that we can. Um, but it but it happens kind of incrementally. I mean, I think one of the things about history is it shows it shows a certain sort of narrative where it looks like the arc of change is just is just uh, is 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 kind of a straight line from from towards progress. Um, and I think humans as a species, we we like to tell ourselves that story because that's something that we can live with. Do you know what I mean? That gives us a kind of sense of meaning and hope. But in truth, if we want to see change, we have to get as organised as the people that are running this society, because they're highly organised, highly networked, and highly resilient in the face of any challenge to their power and authority. Um, So so change... We can change the world, but I think you've got to focus on your bit of the world that you're in, your community. Um, And uh, so sometimes... A big issue tackling a big issue is about do, doing something in your corner of the world. Um, the, the next part of that question, what was this, the next part of it, Mark? And what was the,
0: the news source? Is it um, the most trusted,
1: trusted news source, or the one that I respect the most? <coughs> um, I'm I'm at a point where um the the I've got a sense of intuition with news now because I can see it from both sides, um. So I understand when I'm watching something and I understand where its biases lie or how it's restricted in terms of certain types of coverage. So I'm not necessarily looking to... um, I'm not necessarily looking to the BBC or Sky News for the absolute brass tacks facts on um, corruption scandals and and things like that and, and, and banking or the financial sector. They're no necessarily breaking those stories they might cover them if they become mainstream, but I would say platforms like Open Open Democracy are pretty good um, they obviously come at it from, from a bit of a left wing perspective, but it's not infected with the left wing ideology in the same way that maybe something like the Morning Star is or something like that I don't mean infected, you know what I mean like, Open Democracy is pretty high quality, world class, diligent Investigative journalism, which really gets to the core of a lot of things, to the extent that a lot of the the, the more mainstream uh, news apparatus will steal stories from it or cover stories and credit them for breaking them. In Scotland, I would say the *Ferret* um, is probably uh, one that you can rely on for for bias, obviously, but bias in favour of challenging power. You know, so they go hard on the government. They go hard on all the political parties. They, they come at it from the point of view of the common man and woman or vulnerable people. You'll find a lot of good coverage on the drug crisis there, um, a lot of good coverage on uh, lesser-known political stories that, that, that do speak to some of the problems in this country that are, are, are under-discussed. So, I open democracy for kind of UK and international stuff, the ferret for UK and particularly uh, Scottish stuff.
0: Amazing, and I've got yeah. I suppose it's about getting a bit of everything. I remember when I go through little phases of when I'm when I'm writing involved in the news, when I watch a whole bunch of different news channels and try and find you know who's prop you know bounce Russian propaganda off of British propaganda, and, and i Fox News. You know you got your CNN and your your Democrats there and your Republicans of Fox News, but it's a bit depression watching taking in all of that news though as well. Yeah, I would say. But it does kind of kind of gives you a, b- a bit more of a balanced view you if you're listening to yeah all the lies of that one. Aye, but I, I think it's
1: important to once you develop a certain level of news literacy to to then say right, well I'm watching Sky News, so here are the things that Sky News does quite well, and here are the things that I'm not really interested in the Sky News position on or the Sky News coverage on, and then you apply that to really all all of the um different issues, and then eventually you start to understand that. You know, if you want uh, coverage on a certain thing, you could go to that news source. Um, and if you want it on another thing, you could go to that source. But I think it's dangerous when you get to a place of pathological scepticism of all information um, because the information ecosystem is much more complicated. Um, and, and so you actually are more, I think, thinking more critically and are, are working those critical thinking muscles by um, exposing yourself to... Um, different forms of media, even the ones that you you, you think are a load of shite, um, because if 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 you if the only thing you're learning from watching a certain uh, news channel is you're learning what other people think, that's a really important thing to know to navigate this current environment, and um, particularly if somebody like me who's out there trying to make arguments or trying to persuade people of certain things, you really need to know and what kind of um, and what kind of environment are they uh, forming their opinions and conclusions? And what sources are they exposed to? So, I, it's, it's it's a healthy level of skepticism is important. Um, but I think a lot of people can kind of they can fall out of news altogether, and what they're really reading are news aggregate sites that that are still relying on mainstream media, but then somebody's putting their opinionated spin on it, and that's not the same as journalism. I'm sorry.
0: I just to add on, on to that point with because obviously, as um, you know, both of us have been very healthily sceptical of mainstream media for a, a long time now. Mm. And I noticed that quite a lot of people maybe they weren't so interested in news, but because of lockdown or whatever, they were kind of forced to sort of get some kind of news. And I, what, have you, what? why is it that so many people are sceptical of mainstream quite rightly, but they don't apply that scepticism to, you know, somebody just doing a a YouTube channel or making a, um, you know, a, well, I don't want to use it about the word fake news, but just, yeah, just, just sort of like, yeah, fake news or somebody just having an opinion and kind of dressing up as something factual. What, why do you think it is that some people like, they hate the mainstream so much that they're willing to believe just any random person as long as it's not got a, a logo next to it that they recognise? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a really kind of.
1: Well, I was going to say interesting. It's quite dangerous as well sometimes in in this environment where, you know, you have to think back to a time where, you know, 40 million people would tune into a broadcast, you know what I mean, or or 20 million people, you know, an episode of EastEnders or some other kind of comedy special at New Year and and 10 o'clock news. And so, you know, in a sense, society was a bit more cohesive then because obviously even though we're still being exposed to a certain level of, of propaganda, particularly in relation to foreign affairs and stuff like that. Our opinions are divergent from an agreed reality that's all being beamed into our living rooms from a couple of news channels, whereas you don't have that now. You know, so it's it's democratized to the point where we all have a media channel and we can all be broadcasting whatever we want to broadcast. And I think that is cool. But I do I do worry sometimes that what happens is you get um you get people who are very slick operators in that environment, and they, they, they will in one sense kind of portray themselves as, I'm fighting for you, the common man and woman, um, but actually they're, they're quite sophisticated in how they exploit people's scepticism or people's sense of um, disillusionment or alienation from mainstream culture, and, and they actually offer very little solutions as well, you know, so really it becomes just another form of distraction and entertainment because what you often find is a, a lot of people who are kind of zoning out to this alternative I'm not saying every alternative opinion channels the same by the way there's a lot of great ones you know around COVID and um, lockdown discussions and all of that I'm, I'm not saying every single person that diverges from mainstream is, is, a, is a bad actor and, and uh, with nefarious intentions but I do think that um, if If the person that you're tuning into and absorbing all the time um, has really just become a kind of mental masturbation exercise where you watch something and you're not acting any kind of, there's, there's nothing actionable about it. There's no call to arms, there's no, it's just, here is what I think about what's happening then, you know, what's the point in getting angry in the first place? Because you're not fucking going to do it and about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, the amount of people that are all c- constantly talking about, oh, and there's fucking paedophiles up here and this, that, and the next thing and da-da-da-da-da, and it's just like, right, okay, well, I mean, you fought that for, what, 20, 30 years now. What action have you taken? <laughs> you know what I mean? What action have you taken? But then these are the people that will criticise somebody like me for going on the telly and try to Try to do something, try to contribute something, try to get some sort of information out there about certain sort of issues. So sometimes I think people have got it backwards. Do you know what I mean? The information is supposed to give you information so that you can actually act. Do you know what I mean? With purpose. It's not just something to absorb like a fucking product. And I think sometimes that's what it becomes for some people and that just makes other folk a lot of money.
0: Gary McQuaid says, How's it going, champs? How do you feel about the ongoing lunacy? only getting worse from the government and the energy leaky prices to them too. Is there any help for folk on the dole that are vulnerable? Um,
1: I mean, big questions. There there is help out there. I mean, it's just, it's very hard to get, you know, so it's it's a kind of two-pronged answer because technically there is help, but it's hard to access the help. And then I think if you're dealing with disability or a chronic health problem or you have communication issues, all of these things complicate the matter in terms of the cost of living crisis I mean, it's not really a cost of living crisis is it it's 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 um it's the cost that people have to pay to protect obscene profit, you know what I mean like um, and that's tr- I'm, I'm not even coming at it from like a, a, a pure communist perspective here, I mean you have to really be kind of drinking a certain flavour of Kool-Aid to deny the evidence your eyes and ears in terms of the record profits posted by so many countries um, every quarter. And then the rise in food bank statistics, the rise in suicides, the rise in deaths of despair, the abs- the acts constantly being swung at... Um, services that are there, and not just to protect vulnerable people, that was underpin the whole idea of social mobility, that you could rise out of your class and make something of yourself. These are the first things that seem to get cast aside as if they're some kind of luxuries, but all the privileges that the top 20% are are accustomed to, um, these are all protected, no matter whether you vote Tory or Labour or SNP, these are protected automatically. You don't get elected without protecting them. And if you tried to, 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 to cut them the way that they cut benefits or the way they cut legal aid, um, all these middle-class people would just feel so attacked that they would just go and vote for the next party. So no politician can confront inequality because no political system now is really based on that poison chalice of you have to take care of the rich to even get into power to even help a wee bit of the poor. And that, in, in, in my view, is, is deeply
0: unbalanced, you know what I mean? And what about the council elections tomorrow? Quickly, just while we're talking about uh, on the politics side of things, have you got who you who you're voting for, um, or are you voting? I I'll be voting,
1: and I I like my local green candidate actually, um, Kirsten Robb, uh, who's the only one who's came round to my door, um, and I was talking to her about uh, the issue, some of the issues that we have locally here in terms of uh, drivers cutting through. Um, to avoid traffic junctions and very tight roads and not knowing the corner. And there's lots of kids about here. And, you know, local elections are about local issues. Um, it's all about wheelie bins, basically, isn't it? Aye, wheelie bins and, um, you know, parks and parking, refuse well. collection and all these things. So I, I, I just I don't get too ideological when it comes to local stuff. Um, a lot of people about there say, oh, you both votes SNP both well, it's SNP and all this, carry on and then they vote and all this, and I'm just like, "Oh come on, get a rest." Um, but either way, I, I decided to I decided to to vote Green because um, I just like the level of engagement that I got uh, from them, and I can see that they're making an effort to emphasise certain issues in the community where those issues matter to the people around here. Because there's a lot of stuff, obviously, the Greens are are about that maybe don't feel as relevant to people here and. I think it's right that they don't overpower people with the the Green Party factor
0: that can be so overpowering sometimes. Go back to Twitter. Um, Difficult on this, but this is from Lynn A. Have you taken the time to actually reflect on the achievement of getting this book finished through all the struggles of lockdown and parenting, battles with health? health? I'm absolutely in awe that you did it. Have you had a moment to just feel proud of yourself that the book's finished? Or is it just too busy with the with the rollout of the book now? I think the moment I'm looking
1: forward to. Um, I've decided to, to to take Becky with me this time um, on the roller coaster when we go to London. You know, because I did all that myself the last time, and I didn't know what was going to happen. I had no expectations, and then things just went so intense, and I was by myself so much of the time. I was by myself in the hotel after the Orwell Prize. I was by myself after the book went to number one. And it's weird because you kind of can savour and enjoy it, but there's nobody to share it with. Do you know what I mean? Like it's and there's something kind of weirdly lonely about it. It's almost like it's not real. And then I'm interested to know, you know, if it's even half as intense as it was the first time. It would be nice to have someone there to kind of validate my intuition. It is a bit mad, you know, what you go through um, when you're, um, you know, when things are happening that fast. Um, I'm not expecting it to be anywhere near as intense as last time. Just, just because I've I've become accustomed to living life at a certain ridiculous speed now. Um, so if anything, uh, my expectations might be too high, or I might feel like it's not done as well when actually it has. You know who knows what the next fucking dilemma is going to be. But I mean, the most, the most, uh, the most important thing for me is just the, uh, um, is you know uh, I'll I'll be able to savor the moment when the book is out. Do you know what I mean? Like up until the point it's out and and people have got it in their hand and they're reading it. Um, my job's not done. Because it's once it's been delivered to the public, then I can go okay, and take a few weeks out, and me and the family are going on holiday, and then Becky and me are going to Mallorca for our friend Marek's wedding, and all of these things hopefully will be savoured more, knowing that, that, that some big big pieces of
0: work are are behind us, you know. And what's uh, just um, we haven't actually shouted at the London thing. When is that, and what's going to happen in London for? The international. <laughs> of, you it's call basically in
1: London. the one. Uh, it's basically just the London uh, launch of the book, which obviously we didn't have a London launch the last time. But it's Penguin Random House that's publishing it, and uh, I think that they just want to have a London event. Um, I guess they must think that, that that people down south will will come here. Will come here. I mean, no, I can't see another reason why they would have it. Um, but then I think it's also to have something at the centre of, of of launch day, you know what I mean. So the book's got as much a chance as any book to do well, just from the fact it's got book of the week on Radio Four, which means it'll be serialized throughout the course of the week, um, before it's actually out on the uh, on the last day of the week, on the Friday, and then it's. Also, I'm an, I'm on start the week, on Radio for on the Monday, um, which is the thing that catapulted the last book to to the success that I had, even pre Orwell Prize. Um, so basically, it's it's all kind of teed up for things to go okay in terms of the level of exposure that it gets, and me being able to get a chance to kind of get out there and, and push
0: it. Um, Are you looking forward to getting back out of there as well. Just me after being sort of stuck in lockdown for so long. I am looking forward to it, and I'm also, I'm,
1: I'm a bit less like a rabbit in the headlights now. Like I think for a while I was a bit kind of, oh, I don't, what's this? I don't know if I can do all this. Do you know what I mean? And I realise actually, you know, that's that's um, that's a luxury being able to sit and kind of ponder all that stuff. At the end of the day, um. I'm in a position where I can get out there and actually, like, like push the arguments. Do you know what I mean? And um, and 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 arm people with the thoughts and rhetoric and language that they they might need to articulate their own frustrations with the system, and make a contribution to hopefully trying to create pressure on 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 some of the people that need to be pressured to to um you know get this fucking shit show sorted out. So it's a tremendous privilege at the end of the day, as much as sometimes it can be a bit nerve-wracking and, and tiring. It's, it's, um, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, would I, would I want to be doing this? I'd be like, ah, fucking aye. And I'd also start <laughs> laughing at the thought of it. Do you know what I mean? I'd be like, what are you talking about? It? Do you know what I mean?
0: we got um. what part of the book made you most raging? Says Ciaran Bruce. Or what? Um, raging, despairing, writing it. Yeah, um, it's a close tie between
1: the chapter the chapter on property and uh, and the chapter on media. So the chapter on property begins with my experience of, of, of going grouse hunting uh, with a landowner, which is documented in one of the films that I made for the BBC, but it's expanded on a wee bit in terms of my interaction with this guy. And um, and me being like a fish out of water, do you know what I mean? Holding a firearm and just all that madness, being very remote, you know what I mean from reality. But then it transitions to me being in Lancaster West, Lancaster West Estate, which is is where the remains of Grenfell Tower are. And I went down there. Um, uh, I went down there and met with uh, Loki actually, um, who invited me to his community after interviewing me the day before for a pilot thing he was filming and I think the interview he kind of sussed me out a wee bit and and then maybe came to the conclusion that I was was all right Um, and then so he invited me to his community he wanted to take me a tour of the community and talk me through um, a lot of what they experienced that night and that morning of the the fire and uh, I went on a walk of remembrance around the community And so, um, you know, this was a silent walk about an hour or so around that very kind of, that very divided area where, you know, house prices rise and fall by hundreds of thousands of pounds, depending on what side of a traffic junction you're on. And you kind of, you transition from the kind of London of Only Fools and Horses and EastEnders to the London of uh, Paddington, an absolutely fabulous And um, suddenly you realise the people who own the property, they don't even need to be politically active for their housing concerns to be taken care of because that's all baked into democracy. You own property, we look after you. But people in that community, in Grenfell, um, and that tower, um, they were literally screaming, um, this building's not safe, people are going to die in a fire. And nobody did anything about it, you know. And when you're there, and you're walking around and like a bit of a disaster tourist almost, you know, Um, it's, um, it's, it's, it's infuriating, you know, it's infuriating and as a chapter that was really written 2019 and then obviously a lot of work has been done on it and I've agonised over it, you know, because you've got to get the balance right between making sure the reader really understands what went down there Um, and not veering too far on the side of of sensationalism. But, I mean, it's just such a tragic thing. It's hard to even, for it not to be sensational talking about it. Um, So that, or else the media chapter, which, you know, has a kind of lengthy essay polemic just about media ownership, you know what I mean? And basically the media is as much as there's a lot of choice out there, there's a lot of choice of fizzy drinks, but they all contain the same basic ingredients and are all squatted into your cinema cup for the same bog and tap, do you know what I mean? And the information ecosystem is just not diverse enough in terms of class representation. So that's why we don't have a discussion in Britain about class inequality really, you know, because no one's really qualified in media to talk about it because most people at the top of media are privately educated. But then it sort of evolves into a, a, a particular analysis of the Jeremy Kyle show and the economics of the Jeremy Kyle show, and a lot of his behaviour on the show, and it all centres around the death of Stephen Diamond, who um, Jeremy Kyle hounded and hounded to his suicide, basically. And uh, every time I read that chapter, I just get angrier and angrier, you know. And it's weird because. It, you know, when you write something or you make a song or something, you know, maybe the first couple of times you play it, if it's good, you'll get a wee feeling of oh fuck, this it's good, I'm onto something. But then that feeling dies down, you know what I mean? And you start to be more objective about it. But these are two chapters in the book that every time I read them, I honestly I'm just so angry, and I get into a bit of a state. Do you know what I mean? And there was certain uh, editorial notes and stuff on some of this stuff, um, not necessarily asking me to tone it down. Um, but, but but saying you know is this thing that you've pointed out here is that relevant or is this thing here relevant and I was like look I've took 90% of the notes and suggestions on like um, these are my guitar solos you know what I mean like just let me fucking just let me go do you know what I mean and let me do it and I just have to trust that it will land because um, I just I, I was so angry and I just decided I was going to honour the anger and I wasn't going to
0: try and uh, calm it down you know what I mean I got a, mess- uh, a message on Twitter from Bella Caledonia there saying, hi Darren, looking forward to reading the book. <clears throat> looking at the state of the social crisis, fuel poverty etc and the contempt people are treated why do you think there's not more revolt? Are folk beaten down? What's the explanation for our quietism? Um,
1: I don't know if it's quietism I think that the the anger that traditionally might be channeled towards some sort of um, you know, revolt as, as Mike is putting it there, um, has been uh, skillfully appropriated by um culture war issues, um, and and so you know we can very quickly go from a discussion about social inequality or corruption at the top of government, the revolving door between business and politics, to talking about if 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 male crime is rising because Doctor Who is female. And uh, you know th- that's a difficult media environment to get a message through, and a media environment, unfortunately, is how you reach the masses now, um, because the, the the thing that I have, the thing that one of the, the chapters in the book, the second part of the book that looks at political ideologies or political movements, my big my big analysis on the radical left. Um, you know, socialism really is that it's really good locally but it's rudderless at scale and I go into all the different reasons culturally, the subcultures involved and um, but really at the end of it I say look if, if, if media is a dirty word on the radical left there's no chance because actually what the radical left has to do is apply the same mentality as the Blairists in terms of the ruthlessness and the discipline and the level of focus and the level of strategic planning but to bring through a socialist programme into the mainstream. And uh, the reason it never happened with Corbyn is because he didn't think he was going to win so there was no strategy. So Corbyn often just looked like a guy who was the leader of the Labour Party because he lost a bet. And I know that that seems cruel to say and a lot of Corbyn fans and um, I count myself as somebody who was really excited about the prospect of Corbyn in the beginning. What you could see from that first appearance in Prime Minister's questions there were just certain compromises, even just presentationally, that he wasn't even yeah. considering, never mind being prepared to make. Um, and so really you just kind of you set yourself up for failure. Um, I think you got a lot of people on the left now who are getting a bit more streetwise about how they operate on social media and stuff like that, but for a lot of high-profile lefties, I mean, Twitter just remains a sneer dispensary or a place to kind of exhibit, you know, in-depth knowledge of, of historical marginalia or how, how uh, you know, obscurely can you construe a current event Or and at the end of the day, that comes from, from very low levels of contact with what you would call ordinary people. Do you know what I mean? And, um, and so, you know, th- there is a lot of, Anger out there. There is a lot of rage out there. But at the end of the day, when 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 Pierce Morgan can put on the act that he understands you better than Grace Bleakley, um, you know what I mean? Then then that's a hard fight. That's a hard argument. That's I can see why a lot of people on the left retreat into the world of theory and the world of of um, philo- role playing as philosophers. Um, because who wants to get out there and actually like try and be? a prominent, proper socialist on the public stage um, and, and think about it in, in a long-term way um, and have answers for the questions that you know you're going to get and be prepared to have a close skin shave and wear a fetching fitted suit. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry, but these are the things that people will have to consider. Um, do you know what I mean? And, and I don't mean that superficially. I mean, what it says is, is that presentation and first impressions matter in this world where 90% of everything people are consuming is video content. And for years, i certain image of what a proper leader and politician looks like has been beamed into people's heads. And uh, so if you're trying to change that system or change that environment, you've got to think a wee bit smarter about how you operate in it. And um, I, that's what I would say.
0: Uh, but it's also mad, though, the way Boris presents himself from time to time compared to Corbin. Corbin get absolutely destroyed for, I don't know, not having his top button tied up, uh, buttoned up. And then you've got Boris just sort of running around brushing his hair with a balloon. No, I know. I know, and there that, that is obviously,
1: there are there are many because he's posh. It's because he's just really, really posh. He's just allowed to be eccentric. It's like, because Boris has, has all the social connections that come from an elite education and being in bed with different sections of the british establishment and so he's he's a lot more resilient in the face of when he, boris has been under sustained media scrutiny for his whole career i mean the idea that he just somehow ascended to where he ascended to as if he was just given a free pass is ludicrous it's just that he has a, he has some powerful friends that help him become more resilient in that environment to the point where you couldn't you'd struggle to name a media outlet that hasn't at some point called for him to fucking get out of office and he's still there do you know what I mean? Uh,
0: Ned Meditation meditation says you don't seem to have said much about the council elections tomorrow why is that we actually did do that we've done that if you go back a bit you'll hear us talking about that uh, EFP says I'm a cyclist. And I've exercised my whole adult life, or they're having a conversation about we'll, oh, there's a bit depression and mental health. We'll get we'll get back to all of that. Cool. Um, they're having a big conversation between themselves. Going back to Twitter, we have uh, who would you like to read your book? says Claire Malcolm. Everyone. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Everyone. It's written with everyone in mind. Well, okay, who, who, who was um okay? Maybe we we want that question to you. who were you glad read your book last time? Whether that's just maybe people that you were you were fans of the writing, but also I thought <coughs> I did see that you were you seemed to be genuinely overjoyed them I in mean, uh, teachers or or yeah. lecturers. It was getting used in schools and colleges a lot more, and it was a lot of sort of middle class people from middle class backgrounds or or even above that who were saying that that it was it was good for them to finally understand something
1: aye aye I think they got kind of it was uh, written in such a way I think it was written in such a way that it was welcoming people into the conversation do you know what I mean I think try to get the balance right between the kind of righteous anger and the attributing blame but also recognising some people just don't know what they don't know Um, and that's okay because there's lots of things I don't know and I would need somebody to explain to me do you know um, with this book, I think I, I probably have I've went a bit harder on the anger because um, I feel it's justified. Um, and uh, but I also always try to be fair. Um, and, and I, you know, I've, I've, I've rewritten every chapter in that book about ten times. Um, and so any vitriol or hyperbole that's still in there, I, I, I've, I've left it there because I have some sort of Performs some sort of function either for the journey the reader is going on and where i need certain readers to be at certain points in the book in preparation for what i'm going to hit them with later on in the book um or because i'm i'm deciding that um you know it's it, it, whatever uncomfortable truth is is being expressed is irrefutable and absolutely just needs to be said um the the, the thing about this book is really it's, it's more conventional in its structure, so it's not it won't be as immediately accessible as Poverty Safari because you can't really pick this up and just open it at any page and just read. Um, you, you need to take in the argument as it's laid out. Um, and there's an emotional journey in the book which is all dependent on the reader going through it chronologically. And I know it seems a mad thing to say, why would you not go through a book chronologically? But I know from my own reading styles in the past, that I haven't always been able to stay with a book from beginning to end and and have been defeated by a book because of uh, an an inability to concentrate. Um, But there's a bigger function behind this book. There's a bigger objective behind this book, which is probably for the first time in my life is an attempt to present a thesis of, of what's wrong that's a bit less obvious at first, but this theme of proximity... We have all sorts of systems in place to protect against certain pitfalls of our, our democratic system, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. You know, we have we have a rule of law, for example. We have um, we have uh, you know two chambers where you've got one chamber that's making the legislation; they send it to another chamber, and it is reviewed and sent back. And all of these things are tried and tested over time because they they have some sort of utility in the functioning of a country arguably, um, but we don't have anything to protect a democracy when the governing elites and the political class become so socially, culturally and economically removed from other sections of the population. We have nothing to protect against that. We have no, you know, even just raising that as an issue is weird for some people because they just can't perceive it. So really, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm putting forward something semi-original to the discussion at least in, about Britain as it, as it stands now, but I guess, we'll, I guess we'll see. I just hope that a lot of the people who enjoyed the first book will um, will bear with it at, at points where it might seem like it's dragging, or it might not seem like it's got enough of my personal experience or my personal life in it, because it's
0: not that kind of book, do you know what I mean? And um, because obviously, so, I, Safari was 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 deeply about your own experiences. So, are you are you taking yourself out with that a wee bit? Aye,
1: I, I did. I decided to quite late in the process when I had some choices to make about editing it down. Um, so it was a case of did I keep all this memoir about about me and uh, relapsing and being in rehab and um more vivid descriptions of my experiences on benefits and all of that. Or do I kind of shorten that stuff or just allude to it in a couple of paragraphs and keep on us all this stuff about um, the people that I've encountered over the years during my work, you know, whether it was on TV or whether it was me going out on my own to visit uh, certain areas like Margate or, as I say, Lancaster West Estate. And actually, I, I realise also, if I was to do another book that was just primarily kind of memoir-driven, that means I'm telling the audience this is what I do. Do you know what I mean? When I actually so know what I do, do you know what I mean? I, I, I've got more to say than just what my own experiences, And I think by focusing just solely on me as much as it's it's kind of like crack cocaine to the reader or some journalists, um, it takes the scrutiny away from the system. It takes the scrutiny away from the, the people in power who are accountable to us. And so I'm hoping that that change of gear will, will be interesting to the reader because I'm sure their expectations of what this book is about are already set if they've been following me. So I'm hoping they pick it up and they're surprised, you know what I mean, that it's not quite what they thought it might be, but who knows, man.
0: Speaking of change of gear, I'm just going to play a little bit from your Secret Animal set and top up my tea. And um, this is from the, the last part of your, it was a brilliant set from the Secret Animal Garden Party and uh, yeah, let take it away. Me, my old man, didn't he always get along
2: at home, so often I'd go and just kick a ball off a wall of my own. It was pollocks or the threat of violence, was constant for your morning stroll after school when you'd be walking home. It was comedy gold, but it took an awful toll. Hypervigilant, dropping at every knock at the door, grew up running for dealers and ducking loans. That's why I always feel like something wrongs when it's no. That's why I'm nervous, we are a nervous disposition. It's why I find it hard to read and I struggle to listen. Try to manage society's expectations with an epigenetic imposition stress in my limbic system. Then you emerge in a world of middle-class values with nothing but a bus pass and a little stash of valiums. It's when you learn of a prevailing sensibility of like condemning and judging everything that you say. And it isn't much better than your own scheme. I used to tune out in my class in a daydream, knowing I would have to fight when the bell went. I would try and plan ahead, thinking where and when. Every day was a school day, I quickly learned not to get the better of somebody that thinks they have less to lose than you a day. I learned to play the odds, I learned to navigate, and when you strike, do it in full view of the gallery. Used to be into instruments and act, but the scheme put an end to that. In my scheme, there was no such thing as a family, man. You learned about love through the back of your father's hand and carried tools as a policy of endowment, and fought Scarface was a tale of male empowerment. Well, you were taught you're worthless In a lawless circus And don't grasses is what constitutes A moral compass The old days aren't as good as you remember them Try to recapture your youth Staring at the pendulum Doctor hands me the quetiapine He says your mental son And pulls my cerebellum out My rectum with a speculum He'd banging like a kettle drum Rock the same clothes again Even though I slept in them Feeling nostalgic about the life I led When I was young Blowing benefits from drugs Slagging cunts that went to work here they're building a tower, but knowing Glasgow come down as fast as it went up. Here's where you heard it first. Heads burst them seizing my crosshairs and watch them like computer software at a human jobs fair. Poets think of dropping philosophy looking smuggling than a vegan busker covering a Morrissey song about people smuggling, snorting single origin coffee off a hipster menu and a women's refuge getting converted to a fringe venue. I dunno how I lasted this long. Feel like a book would feel if it was trapped in a song. Laptop with 40 tabs on, half of them I'm preaching to the pots, the other half is just eating violent porn. The righteousness exhausting me, I can only see other people's hypocrisy. There's no virtue in critiquing others constantly when privately I'm acting so. Dishonestly, consciously, what every saintly gesture hides, a vain intention. Every layer of pretension, masking hate or resentment, try to reassemble myself in the dark when the instructions and understudy wanders the wings of his own production. Dramatic irony directing a cast of aspersons treading the creaky boards of his narrow assertions with the absolute cheek to wonder why he isn't he a happier person that's the script with a character reference rest of peace wee man cheers
0: <clears throat> Darren live from the secret animal garden party we'll be back in a little second with more for Darren this is your last chance last orders at the bar a question
2: Brothers and sisters, may the peace that can only come from one God be upon you. We are here to tell
1: the
0: people that we hear you. One God will not allow us, as people of conscience, to lose our morale. (laughs) World by our (laughs) patrons. It's your call that radio TV. We are live with Dan McGarvey promoting this the social distance between us, how remote politics wreck Britain. If you're watching this for the first time and you're watching this on Facebook, go to youtube.com forward slash you call that radio. It looks and sounds better over there. If you're watching on YouTube, remember to hit the subscribe and the notification button. And you can also support this show at patreon or Coffee.com or hitting the join button on YouTube. There's also super chat options all around there somewhere. Darren, that was The Secret Animal. Uh, it was just a little bit. I thought it would get us a wee, a wee break. Yeah. Every line was fire, says Jay Lee. Words have the power. Words shares the power of knowledge. We are words in our realities, says yeah. Epi. Brilliant, says Alan. Very best wishes with the book, says Mary. Great, Thank set, you. says Jigsaw Tiger. Never fails to impress me, Dan. Thank goodness he's about, says Saturn returns. It's class here in the writing process. This has been a fantastic hour And Dan. Says Stacy, thank you, Stacey. And um, yeah, Nidri has said, oh yeah. So Nidri Meditation Centre was what she was saying, or he was saying, is it's not about you it's about you've not been talking about local uh, I've not been
1: talking about it on Twitter. on Twitter. I've not been talking about much on Twitter, to be honest. Um I've been very busy um, finishing up these TV shows, um, trying to get these uh, launch events organised, and uh, I took a kind of step back from the current affairs commentary um, when I when I stopped my column with the the Daily Record, precisely because I didn't, I thought it was finding I didn't have the time just due to family responsibilities and other work-related stuff to really be across the news and the way that you have to be to be able to produce um, proper analysis and opinion. I mean, it's easy to phone it in, um, but it just did not sit right with me. So I've started to, to really come to the view that Um, as tempting as it is to see myself as a commentator on all things from foreign affairs to identity issues and culture war and COVID and, you know, my bread and butter is social inequality and class and I can do a wee bit of other stuff now and again, a wee bit of political analysis if I'm in tune with what's going on and I've always got a bit of rhetoric here and there, but at the end of the day... um, I'm not falling into that trap a lot of commentators have fallen into now where they just think that they can turn their hands and minds to any issue that crops up having read someone else's opinion about it that day or because it's a trending topic because I think actually that reduces the quality of the discourse generally where you've got a lot of commentators who got into commentary or got into journalism because they were good at one or two things and then they start thinking oh, that article I wrote about Trans issues, got 10 million fucking hits. Do you know what I mean? I'll, maybe I should just do more of that. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, cool, mate. No, What's your level of experience with that issue? Or what's your level of proximity to that issue? Do you know what I mean? Like, Because um, as much as... A lot of times people read your article just because it validates what they say, what you're, uh, what they think. And it's got nothing to do with actually, you know, the level of attention or thought or detail sometimes and so I've not talked about the council election because I'm not obligated to talk about anything do you know what I mean, I'll decide what I talk about and uh, and and, and I, des- I make that decision based on a number of factors and one is anything I say on Twitter politically can draw me into a public debate that lasts for days and days so me, me deciding not to potentially get my concentration pulled over there when it needs to be in another area is a decision that I make for my mental health, a decision that I make out of a sense of responsibility not to just, you know, fire off my first brain fart into the public sphere, do you know what I mean? Uh, when I haven't really considered anything. And, and then also, you know, my thoughts sometimes maybe are just better being my private thoughts. That's a radical idea, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, <I laughs> I've,
0: I've, I've been doing the same myself. Like over, over a lockdown I was like, I would just stop myself. from posting. Anything. I was like, why are you, why are you saying that? It's just going to cause a fight. And also, uh, like, I'm, I'm not, I've not got the anywhere near the the Twitter following or or very social media following you've got, man. I, that that sounds like a nightmare. But I'm it's all ready. relative, though, isn't it?
1: It's all, it's
0: all relative. Like
1: everybody's got a threshold for like a, a level of fucking. It ruins, your
0: day. it ruins your day, though, because you've got to check it once, once the arguments start. You're checking your notifications to see what the other person said back, and like you don't reply quickly with another response. You've <laughs> lost some kind of imaginary battle, so I've just kind of shut up. But you're quite right. I mean, it's, it, it's just, I suppose, it's the way that your Piers Morgan he just gets right into anything that's going to get and just kind of tries to guess what the public want to hear. And I, I, yeah, I think so. Just just before we go to the next question, i just about the the deal record, the column. You did a great column there for for years, and is uh, that is that taking a lot of pressure off you from, you know, having to do that every single week? I, what, uh, what was the I'm, process like with that? Were you did you have lots of ideas in the backup ideas, or were you just literally waiting to see what happened in the news and then just it? With- you might have an idea, and then as a
1: big story breaks the the night, you know, the day your column. You know what I mean, um, or you might be really struggling for ideas, and 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 uh, you're really kind of you're really churning it out. Do you know what I mean? And because you develop a skill as a writer, you can always make it engaging. Um, but I was finding that there were times, you know, when I'm writing it in the back of a car, uh, or I'm having to take a break from another job I'm doing to go into a cafe and finish it. And I was still always trying to file on time and make sure the copy was nice and clean as possible and make sure that, you know, my stuff didn't have to be legal and all that because that adds more time to the process. So making sure that what I'm saying is factually accurate and, uh, you know, within the bounds of acceptable commentary. Um, But I I was also finding that the the seven days between the 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 column just seemed shorter and shorter every week. And um, and 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 sometimes I could see, you know, a lot of the other commentators were focusing on a particular issue that was trending or a controversial thing, and and I was kind of finding, I, I, from a distance, I could see how they had lost a bit of their their patina of respectability because a lot of people seen them as being um, uh, kind of sucked into a rabbit hole a wee bit you know, be kind of what you would call audience capture, where they start getting a lot of interaction because they write about a certain thing and that becomes something that they're prepared to write about more, even if it's something that they clearly don't have any specialist knowledge in or experience in. Um, And and I think, you know, you've got got a lot of real head cases out there, man, in the commentary sphere. I mean, who the fuck thought Kate Hopkins should have had an opinion column? Do you know what I mean? That's a real extreme example, but there's a lot of folk out there, man, that have got commentary gigs, man, like Darren Grimes and um, that Dan Wooten at the Sun and, um, and, and 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 just real roasters I would say, you know, that, that, that um, have mastered the art of, of, of saying very and a tremendous amount of verbiage. And really it just inflames it inflames already tense situations. Whereas I think I'm 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 more interested even when I'm angry and even when I'm being provocative, I'm. It's in my nature to want to reconcile things. It's in my nature to try to frame things in a way that's about saying, "How do we come to an understanding around this?" You know that is part of my nature, and uh, and and sometimes that's difficult to, to take in a tabloid because tabloids are their papers that are really shouting at you from the from the shelf <laughs> from the shelf. Do you know what I mean? So. I've found actually that I, I, I don't miss it. I don't miss that gig at all. You know, it was good. It was good to learn how to do it and get that insight. But the, the book is the medium that I want to communicate through now.
0: Jigsaw Tiger said that would ruin the whole model of Twitter if everyone just kept their, thought, their thoughts to themselves. Yeah. Imagine that. Just a Twitter where everybody just shut up. I know. I've seen, seen a meme the other day. Elon Musk claiming that he knew you. Aye, I know. I know. You know
1: okay. some, some people will do it
0: for a bit of attention. Do you know what I mean? We have We'll go back. Speaking of Twitter, we'll go back to Twitter. We've got another few questions. To I've only read. got another couple of minutes. Sorry, because I've
1: got. I've That's got. Um, I've got to jump
0: to the shop. I've got to jump to the shop before 10. We'll That's cool. We've got. Um, who is it? Last questions. It is... Have I've bought my copy of the social distance between us? Says Joanna Hughes. My question: Does it revisit these words in Poverty Safari? I no longer believe poverty is an issue or politicians can solve because an honest conversation about what it will require is too politically difficult to have.
1: Uh, I, I would say it addresses it, but it actually, it, it it lays out what the difficult conversation is. If that really, that uh, if the book is anything, it's that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I definitely come at it. I wear my political beliefs on my sleeve a lot more in this because it's less about my personal experience and more about how I explore different issues and from what perspectives and who I give a platform to in terms of who's given voice in the book. And I think that really demonstrates my political beliefs in a way that comes through much stronger than the last book. Because the last book was really a critique of the left. Um... While this book does have a chapter that's devoted to critiquing the left, um it's uh, it's more of a kind of full frontal assault on the whole thing.
0: Um and that's I speaks to that particular sentence I. Shop Shot better be next door, says it good point, because it is I, I've lost track of time because normally we start at seven o'clock, but we started at half eight. So it's ten to ten. The last question goes to J Lee, who's actually was going to ask what I was going to ask you anyway, and it's um, when does Dan plan on dropping music? Very I'm going
1: pre- but- to preview s- some music on Friday. I mean, you, you, they might have heard some of it um, already uh, if they've been at gigs and stuff like that. But um, that's aye, right, but- This
0: Friday. S- this Friday, uh McCool, Sonny Govan. McCool's, yeah, McCool's
1: uh, for the Sonny Gavin twenty first birthday. Um, so I'll be doing twenty minutes there, um, and and uh, I'll be, I think it'll be mostly kind of new ish music. Um, but I, I mean, I'm I'm I've been working on a project for a while now. It's just I just want to be able to devote my full headspace to it. So I'm trying to get it to a place that when once all this work is done, I can just get in and finish it. Do you know what I mean?
0: Amazing man. Well, I'm actually going to finish with one of your your news your newest releases which was we'll do the live capture works version from Scotland today thank you very much Dan you're welcome anytime and we'll do some more questions on our time good Thanks, luck with the good luck with Friday my cools. And and um, yeah I'll see you i will be waiting Friday but I'll see you at Oren Moore on the 13th mate all the best you call that radio. you call that radio you call that radio